Welcome to the official Guntub Nation fan page podcast, the premier voice for the fearless fans of Raiderland and proud supporter of Texas Tech University. Let's meet today's hosts. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Guns Up Nation podcast. This is Keith, and I am here with Dr. Ryan Butler and a special guest that I'll let uh, Ryan introduce in a little bit. We are doing our first what we call Campus Connections. And basically what this episode is, is to cover something that's going on on the campus, whether it be buildings, facilities, enrollment, student life, anything of that sort. So this is the first episode we're going to be talking about something happening on the campus campus connections. So I'm going to turn this over to Dr. Ryan Butler to introduce our guest. Thanks a lot, Keith. Yeah, so we've uh, put a, a lot of podcasts together for uh, different things, not just the uh, athletic part of the university, uh, but also what's happening on campus. And so that way our alumni uh, and, and even our current students can know and prospective students can know what's uh, going to be happening. So tonight we have a, a very special guest uh, that uh, I'm, I've been looking forward to, uh, and he is the Associate Vice President for Enrollment Management uh, for Texas Tech University. Uh, it is uh, Dr. Ethan Logan. Uh, Dr. Logan, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate this opportunity to speak to you both this evening. Well, we're glad that you're on, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. For those of you that that uh, that know Ethan, he's a, he's one of the greatest guys on the campus, uh, full of life, and I'm so excited. I, I was able to to go uh, through a master's program with him, and I just am so excited to have the chance to reconnect with him. We were able to catch up a couple of weeks ago, and I, I tell you what, I'm I'm so excited for you in this position. I'm so excited for you as a as a family man and everything. So I'm I'm really really happy that we get a chance to visit tonight. Thank you, sir. No problem. So tell us a little bit, Ethan, about, um, and I'm going to call you Ethan here and there. That's just my own, that's my bad. So forgive me, world. Dr. Logan, okay? No, no, Ethan's fine. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man among doctors here, so forgive me. But <laughs> no, so, so walk us through a little bit about the, the steps it took to get you to where you are. Uh, thank you, uh, Keith. I came back to Texas Tech in 1999. Uh, I graduated from Tech in 1995. I stayed and did my master's program uh, and started my career in higher education at uh, a little uh, liberal arts school in Texas, McMurray University in Abilene, Texas, which is a wonderful institution and some lovely people. And a and former a uh, former um, rival for Texas Tech University back in the old That's days. Right. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> right. From the first season of football. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Good stuff. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, a great institution. In Abilene, which is is a unique city in and of itself, with three mm. three institutions True, uh, right. in the city, with Fair Abilene right. Christian, uh, Hardin Simmons University, and McMurray yep. University. Yeah. Uh, in 1999, I had a chance to come back to Texas Tech and, and started working uh, for my alma mater, uh, and I started working in student activities. Student activities is a great ambiguous title. <laughs> uh, in the sense that uh, I was an advisor for student organizations collectively, just to be a resource wow. for student organizations. And, uh, and I was in there briefly with the uh, student activities area of the university before I moved back over to the dean of students office hmm. and became assistant dean of students uh, under uh, the then dean of students, Michael Shonrock. And I worked for uh, a gentleman by the name of Greg Elkins, who was associate dean. And I began my uh, uh, work uh, professionally 
uh, in the dean student's office as a fraternity advisor, the IFC, the Interfraternity Council. Advisor. Oh my gosh! Right, <laughs> uh, and uh, and I got to work with some wonderful young men in the fraternal system at Texas Tech University, part time in working with uh, the Greek life system, part time with doing some student conduct administration, which is uh, a part of at that time was a part of the dean of students' office. I got to work with some wonderful people, including uh, one of our former, uh, one of our current board of regents, John Steinmetz, who was a student who I worked with uh, uh, in uh, in Greek life, and so I really appreciate that and, and like to remind him of that when I get a chance to speak with him. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, moved into uh, student conduct administration full time, uh, which uh, which is really a fun uh, and important part of the institutional culture and administration. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's fun. It's really, it is an important part of the campus, uh, in terms of, uh, working with students, uh, who have, uh, an opportunity to, uh, consider the ramifications of choices that they make. And that was, uh, an interesting juxtaposition because my father, uh, was an, a, a school administrator in K through 12. He was a, a principal. Uh, and uh, and I joke with him about the fact that we both, uh, at one point in our lives, seemed like we were the uh, assistant principal, or vice principal of our various institutions, <laughs> and having to mm. to work with students and conduct situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, I moved back into what was then uh, a, a department called Campus Life at Texas Tech University, uh, and I supervised the areas that I was familiar with. I worked with uh, the Greek Life System. Again, uh, the student organization system uh, and uh, student activities, which was uh, student programming that students did, peer-to-peer programming. And that's either educational, but also entertainment and engagement. Uh, It can be anything from guest speakers to films and uh, acts that come on, musical acts or uh, or variety acts that come on campus to provide entertainment. Yeah, And so uh, I, I continued to stay in that student affairs system with with the opportunity uh, that Texas Tech provided me was uh, a wonderful opportunity of, 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 of additional growth professionally. And so from what I specialized in from my early years, I became uh, uh, the supervisor or the manager for uh, as, as I progressed professionally. And, and then I turned her right back around and, and became uh, the director of student conduct uh, again and, and the associate dean of students and, and worked with that office for a couple of years. Uh, before uh, I was was coming up on about 2008. So between 99 and 2008, I worked in student services or student affairs at the institution, providing for the opportunities of what we would call co-curricular or extracurricular activities that students have on campus, whether that's entertainment, that's educational, that's expression, that's uh, all sorts of things that we do to provide for a co-curricular involvement of students on campus and to engage them in their community and provide them for outlets uh, social outlets, uh, educational outlets, uh, professional outlets, all of the above. Right. And in 2008, uh, the institution administration was transitioning. We had a president who uh, who had left at that point, and we had a provost who stepped down and went back to faculty. And uh, and uh, and we were in a situation where there was kind of a a vacancy in the executive rank of the institution. And uh, the gentleman who had been dean of students when I had come back to Tech, Michael Shonrock, became had become vice president for student affairs in that period, and um, was tasked by the chance the then, then chancellor uh, who was Chancellor Emeritus Kent Hans the uh, responsibility of 
oversight for enrollment management, what is enrollment management today for Texas Tech. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, I remember that very, very uh, surreally in the sense that uh, he approached me along with my former supervisor, Jim Burkhalter, who was the then associate vice president. And they asked me if I would be interested in being director of admission for Texas Tech University. And I said, uh, I, I very much would. I'd be very interested in that. Uh, I'm afraid I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, we're kind of new to this, too. And I said, well, then this sounds like a great opportunity for us all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, I moved into enrollment management in 2008. And uh, I uh, then proceeded. I was uh, director of admission for Texas Tech uh, for, um, for um, let's see, from 2008 through uh, 2015, 16, and, and, uh, and, and worked with the institution on what was then the institution's strategic priority of enrollment growth and development at Texas Tech University. That was moving the institution towards a full-time enrollment of 40,000 students. Man. At that time, we had a full-time enrollment of undergraduate, graduate, and law students of 28,000 mm. and some change. That was but roughly wow. 28,000 students. Wow. So that's a pretty impressive growth. That's almost a 25% growth there. Yeah. That's a yes, we have. Population. We have been able to grow. Um, and, and we may talk about numbers here in a few minutes. Yeah, but sure. It, it, the enrollment for the fall of 2019 was 38,742. So. Wow. We've come. No, uh, no that's just, just the main a, campus, right? Not the whole system. That's just the Texas Tech campus. So that's wow. Undergraduate that's students, graduate in law. That's wow. amazing. Wow. So in that period, about ten thousand students additional. So before we get into the admissions, something that you had said that that kind of piqued my interest was you you, you talked about being involved in the the student conduct and uh, uh, being sponsors of all of the student organizations and. I don't know, most people like myself, when you say that, you know, we think of the negative things, you know, when the students get in trouble and <laughs> when they make the news and they do things that are less fortunate. But you really, uh, the the impression that I got from you when you were talking about it is you were, I mean, you seem to speak very fondly of it. So um, some, some very positive <laughs> things must have come from that uh, uh, position. The, uh, you know, the, my educational background and training is, is, subscribes to the educational philosophy of higher education. And uh, I look at student conduct administration not as a, uh, as a, uh, uh, a punishment process for students, but an, as an educational process for students. Hmm. And what I mean by that is it's, uh, it's a very... Um, a very dynamic, but also very intense classroom <laughs> that wow. is student conduct uh, in the sense that uh, the learning responsibility of individual choice and actions is the, is the curriculum. And the idea is, is to say, um, this is the information that, uh, that I know about the situation, whether that's a, a police report, whether that's a, something that came from the residence life staff in terms of information that they presented or, 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 or complaints that have been brought forward against the student's behavior and, and to talk to them about um, personal responsibility uh, and, and what that entails. What does a choice mean and what does that choice represent in terms of an outcome? And then is that something that a student wants to pursue in terms of they want to rectify? Uh, is there some kind of uh, uh, a social justice that needs to be uh, amended? Is there sort of a specific restitution or is there a responsibility mm. that they need to take? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and students who can learn from that experience can come through it and, and can, can, and can persist. Mm-hmm. Uh, some situations, unfortunately, are, are beyond that scope. Uh, and that's when we have to talk about suspending or expelling students from the institution. And those are the ones that we send to Texas A&M, right? <laughs> they may choose to go to another institution. Um, well played. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so uh, they may choose to, that may be the choice that they need to make at that some point in time, that they need to pursue higher education someplace else. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a difficult conversation. But to me, it's an important part of, uh, of the learning paradigm in the sense that mm. there's personal responsibility and maturity that has to be realized either very quickly uh, uh, sometimes uncomfortably, but it's still sure. a part of the educational philosophy of the institution. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are very curious, how does one go about deciding <laughs> from application one to application however many, the just under 40,000 students that you're going to allow onto the university campus? That's a great question, uh, and that's a question that we try to uh, present very uh, forthright by the institution, and transparency in this conversation is very important. Mm. Uh, when we look at our role as a public institution of higher education, uh, w- one of the most important things we provide is access and the, uh, the equity of access to the institution, uh, and that all students who seek to have an educational experience post K through 12 to have a, a baccalaureate experience and on, uh, that if they, they if that's a desire that they have to seek, then that, that the public should provide that avenue for them to, 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 to obtain that kind of opportunity. And um, so we have to balance that with the context of what the institution's um, educational experience is. And what I mean by that is, is we need to balance the equation in the sense that we need to admit as many students as we can who are seeking higher education because that's our public role. Mm. But we have to do it in a responsible manner where we're not admitting students who, who do not have the academic uh, preparation or uh, capacities to be successful. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is I do it a great disservice to admit a student who... Uh, who, who spends their first semester falling into academic probation because of poor grades and then yeah. their second semester on academic suspension because they failed classes. Hmm. And if they um, can't be successful, then uh, all I'm doing is wasting their time and money hmm. in terms of how they're going to pursue their education experience. Not to say that they can't be there, not to say that they can't ever succeed at Texas Tech University, but that may be a better choice for them to start in a different institution, maybe start in a two-year institution, build some confidence and some skill that will augment them towards a four-year degree and the success, therefore. That uh, is where we kind of come into the equation or the consideration. I keep saying equation. That's just a, a metaphor. There's not an <coughs> equation for admission. But we look at, um, for example, a historical trend analysis of students' uh, success. Uh, across uh, the way they present themselves to the institution, the way that they are retained and persist through the institution. And we kind of try to design <clears throat> where there's a cutoff mm. in a population. And a population is only as, as good as its whole in terms of its measure, but 
as we look at it uh, and we can say, okay, students with these kind of characteristics are successful. These students with these kind of characteristics are less successful. Hmm. And the way that we approach that then in, in admissions is we say, okay, we know that these students have a great likelihood of success in this, in this, in this characterization. And that characterization, for example, uh, to, to most public institutions, and Texas Tech's no different, starts with some materials uh, um, that are consistent across higher education. So uh, their high school performance, their uh, college entrance exams, uh, their ranks, uh, information that is consistent with their academic uh, uh, measure. And so we can say students who present these types of preparation and these types of performance, we have a great likelihood of success. And so we call those students uh, we say these are the assured admission students. We're going to assure mm. you admission if you meet these criteria. Mm-hmm. And, and we publish that. For example, it's published on our website. We publish it to students every year so they know what that is. And so we say if you're at or above this characteristic, you're guaranteed admission to Texas Tech. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that people who are under that necessarily are bad students. In fact, some of our great students and some of our great alumni uh, have slightly less than assured admission criteria when they presented themselves to the institution for the first time. Uh, and, um, and so we admit students under an assured criteria. We, we publish that up front and say, you can look right now and tell if you're going to be automatically admitted to tech. But if not, that's not the end of the story. The second consideration is then what we consider holistic admission. And holistic admission is based upon us taking into consideration, yes, your academic preparation and performance, but we also need to look at that in context of the whole person. What have you done in your career, in your young life at this point, for at least mm. for college freshmen? Mm. Okay. Have you uh, have you been engaged in you know extracurricular activities, whether that's uh, student athletic uh, competition, uh, in uh, uh, for example fine arts or student organizations or uh, community service endeavors that have committed time uh, that we know will impact your performance. Uh, and the reason we look at that is we say that there's a great uh, potential that these students bring to our institution in the idea that um, our class culture of each class that we admit to the institution, yes, we have need to uh, admit students who have high academic criteria uh, potential and demonstrated that, but we also need students with great diversity of experience mm-hmm. because they enhance the population as a whole from their own experiences. A student who has been cultivating their academic performance above and beyond anything else is a wonderful student. That's not a bet they, and they should be in higher education, but students who have also had extracurricular involvements, which may have detracted a little bit from their performance just because of the time and effort and resource that is necessary. They bring a different perspective. They do, they bring different life experiences and those experiences as a whole make up the successful uh, experiment that is higher education in America today. The ability for, students to interact together and to have questions and to raise civil debate and to have different perspectives and viewpoints Hmm. benefits the whole as we expose ourselves to different ideas and to different perspectives that maybe broaden our own understanding. Wow. This is really fascinating because, I mean, as you're describing this, you're you're not, uh, you don't just see your role as just being the, the gatekeeper, so to speak, for the university. I mean, you're really thinking about what the student dynamic and what the student life and the interaction once they're on campus is going to be like, is what I'm hearing. 
That's right. We do the institution a disservice and the student a disservice if I admit students just for sheer volume in the sense that they're not successful and the institution's not successful in educating. And so oh. it's a combination of uh, what we think is a sure bet. So that's what we would call an assured admission. And then us taking a chance on students who have great potential and bring a great diversity of perspective and experience, which enhance the whole. My goodness, that just sounds like such a daunting task. It's a wonderful opportunity. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and 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 I, you know, I really, I have, I, I really, truly enjoy working in higher education as a profession. And uh, I never thought that this is what I would do when I was mm. I, when I was an undergrad. Mm. Uh, specifically, because there's no such thing as an undergraduate degree in higher education. Right. But um, the uh, the way that this has developed in my career, my path. Uh, has really, uh, you know, resonated with me in terms of what the potential is for higher education and how meaningful that experience is and how we can make it better by the students that we admit to the institution. Hmm. So in addition to the enrollment numbers going up, the scores and the admissions overall, the, the, the caliber of students have increased over that time as well. Yes, sir. Yes. Can you walk we, through that uh, a little bit? You bet. Um, the uh, what we've looked at in terms of our our class profile uh, has been um, we've slowly been building um, what we would consider some academic quality measures of the student class as a whole. Uh, we've um, we've we've reached a, a high point in terms of in my tenure uh, with our SAT score average, for example, and that's equivocated with the ACT score. I just use that collectively as a term mm. uh, in terms of what that looks like. And so we've been able to bring that up uh, over the years. Uh, and, and what that means is not necessarily in its effect in evaluation of an institution by a third party who does ranking. What that means is, is that the quality of the class uh, impacts the uh, conversation of what is not just the first year freshman or the first year transfer student at the institution, but how well they, they persist through the institution and, and how that affects our graduation rates. Now that's, we're just a part of that formula that makes a successful student towards graduation, but we're the first part of that formula. So we're the input. And then the experiences at Texas Tech University and the, what, what the students experience in the classroom, their advising, the support networks they have either through student services or even just with their peers, those all help propel the student successfully through their college career towards graduation. And so those elements, those, those variables all factor into a successful student's experience towards graduation. But uh, as you increase one, you increase the whole. So we try to do that all collectively uh, in order to benefit the student. Uh, it's important in terms of evaluation of the institution in terms of what we look like, you know, from a, a national ranking, for example, like U.S. News and World Report or any of the other multitude of evaluators out there. But more importantly, it is, uh, do we admit a student to the institution who are successful in their career, their major of choice, and that they graduate? That's the most important thing we do is graduate students from the institution. Hmm. That's interesting. So I've, I've, I was looking at a 
just a kind of a, a, a basic uh, s- statistical sheet, I guess, that with that the I believe Kurt Langford and the Alumni Association um, published or didn't publish this, but posted this. And I, I would just I'm even seeing things like the average SAT score is increased to 1171 this year. So I mean that's that's definitely uh, moving up, and it looks like that might be. One of the one of the records I know the graduate enrollment records highest and uh, national merit finalist number is uh, is the highest currently enrolled and uh, do you do you have those numbers that you can share? Uh, yeah, our average SAT score is eleven seventy one. Um, our graduate enrollment um, this this year was uh, <clears throat> well, it's about sixty two sixty three. Pardon me if I don't know that off the top of my head. That's okay. The uh, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm responsible for undergraduate, and, and I have great colleagues in graduate school, and they've done a great job right, in terms sure, of yeah. where they are today. Um, the uh, the law school's got about 400 students in it, 418, if I remember correctly. The um, um, let's see, what was the other piece that you talked about? Oh, I mean, national merit finalists, things of that sort. Oh yeah, sort. national merit. So, yeah, we have 67 national merit finalists actually. Wow, those are finalists, not semifinalists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so those are those are students who um, have qualified under on. It's a national criteria for the test. Uh, it was it's done through the the, the PSAT test and, and the equivalent mm-hmm. ACT. Right. And uh, those students who qualify uh, for really the highest academic honor uh, for an incoming student is is to be a national merit finalist. Uh, and and they they are some tremendous students at the institution. And we we've really focused on it the last couple of years. Uh, and, uh, and this is the largest number of national merit finalists we've had enrolled at the institution. We're having so much fun talking with Dr. Logan that we are going to split this into two different episodes because there is a lot of content to cover regarding the success of our students and the enrollment that's going on on a campus and the record enrollment numbers that we have. Right, Ryan? Absolutely. This has been, this has been really good. It is. So we are going to pause this for now and we will continue with part two of the campus organizations and the campus connections with Dr. Ethan Logan and the admissions and enrollment management area. So we'll talk to you on the next episode. Keep your guns up, Red Raiders. Wreck them. Thanks for listening to the Guns Up Nation podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the fan page administrators, podcast hosts, and fans, and do not reflect the opinions of Texas Tech University or its affiliates. We are proud to support Texas Tech, its students, alumni, and fans.